Sequoia Capital, which arguably is the most successful venture capital firm in Silicon Valley history. And it's it just raised $8.5 billion on a new Chinese investment fund and has decided this week, cut itself in two and jettison the China wing of Sequoia and keep everything else. The old company, the Don Valentine company. Um, they kind of suggested it had to do less with a moral inter imperative, though it seems some of that's in there, but the fear that they're going to get hauled in front of congressional subcommittees and get, you know, really get slammed hard. They're going to go through hell if they didn't figure out a way to separate themselves from their China operations. So they've essentially done that. That's an interesting move. Are we going to see other VC firms doing that? Are we going to see banks doing that? Are we going to see TikTok doing that? Isn't that the quadrillion yeah. question of our time right now? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised because of everything you just said and the concerns because, look, money is money. These guys are getting hit by literally both sides of the political aisle uh, yes. at the same time. And that's uncomfortable when you're trying to raise money, when you're trying to have a good image. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of these splits because you're right. I, I also would be surprised if we stopped doing business with China. That would That's just not going to happen. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, June 30th installment of the Silicon Insider, the only uncensored look at life and business in the Valley. My name is Mike Malone, and I'm here with special contributor Scott Budman of NBC Bay Area. Our producer is Jordan Henderson. Uh, our East Coast correspondent is Bob Grove, and our host is the Silicon Valley Business Journal. Okay, I want to do so get rid of some small business, and I want to get into some big things that are going on right now. Uh, first of all, the Dow did real good with tech stocks this week. I mean, everything went flying upwards. Um, and it's interesting. Some of the big market makers sold their tech stock to buy other tech stock. I mean, one of the biggest uh, names out there is, um, oh, what's her name? Kathy Wood. Of uh, She's a fund manager, famous one. She sold Tesla and uh, bought semiconductor chip stocks. Which is interesting because you really think I really thought that the peak had happened. They had their burst of attention, all the chip guys, the last couple of weeks. But apparently, even she's thinking that they've got still got a lot of run up to go, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, oh, so she's more of a risk taker than most investors. But it is interesting that we're seeing a continued run up in chips, in software. Um, I mean, NVIDIA just nonstop as they become one of the few places that can really lay a flag in the AI planet right now as far as actual sales. A few minutes here, too. Yeah. You know, Tesla may have been sold a little by Kathy Wood, but they're still doing really well. I mean, this is a really strong time for strong tech stocks. You look at the big software makers, the big chip companies. Uh, it's just a real strong appetite so far. It's kind of the summer of tech. Yeah, now, interestingly, the um, unemployment claims fell by uh, about 30,000 people month to month. And uh, the GDP first quarter got revised upwards to 2% from an earlier estimate of 1.3. So that suggests the economy that's starting to cook again. Now, at the same time in the Wall Street Journal, they pointed out there's still a lot of volatility 
underneath the surface that affects predictions. I mean, inflation is still there. It's not going away. And pending home sales declined to almost 3% uh, this last month. So can we, is there, is there a reading we can make on all this or is this just wait and see? I think wait and see for a lot of it really, because I mean, whatever you're quoting in the journal is correct. And we've been talking about this for a while. People have yet to get used to the level of inflation that we're at entirely. They're shopping, but they're still concerned. So they're not buying homes because they're not yet used to a 7% mortgage rate. Historically, that's not that high. And so eventually people will get used to it. Like back in the day, they got used to say a 17%. And then maybe within the last generation, they got used to a 5% before yeah. rates fell to zero. So I think people that need to buy homes are going to eventually buy those homes. We've seen people get back to buying groceries and gas and things as the prices have dipped. But on the other hand, you're right. The Federal Reserve indicating that it's not done fighting inflation. So interest rates may creep up a bit as they try to bring down prices on everyday goods and services. So we're still going to see that back and forth for a while. And what makes me happiest, I think, is A, the consumer is still fairly confident and still shopping. And B, I know we've seen some tech layoffs, but the unemployment rate remains really low, both statewide and countrywide. Yeah, it's just one of those ambivalent moments where you go, great, the economy's coming back strong. And the other hand, you go, well, that just means the Fed is going to do a, several more of these interest rate increases in the months ahead. I mean, they promise a few. Maybe we will give more than a few. Right. I think as, and in my business, we fall victim to this, perhaps unnecessarily, trying to find this Goldilocks situation for the economy. And Maybe it exists, but it's hard to say because things get hot and people cheer, but then that has consequences. Things slow down. People go, oh, my gosh, things are slowing down. Uh, but that has benefits. And, and you know, I, I don't know if there's a perfect Goldilocks scenario for an economy. There is. And I think if we hit it, we'd be passing through it to something else. <laughs> I agree. It's a dynamic system. You can never reach perfect equilibrium. And I'm not sure you want it. No, and, and we dissect everything by the hour. So, you know, yeah. there's always going to be something out there to, to worry about or strive for. Okay, the Xbox people claim they now have all the worldwide, worldwide regulators on board for the Activision uh, merger. And the moment they said that, all of a sudden Canada went, wait a minute, <laughs> we don't agree to it. So what's the status of that? Is that ever going to happen? All this sound and fury about the game business, you know? I mean, there's a lot of money there, but there's not a lot at stake, you know, in terms of competition and antitrust and all that, sir. I mean, I would say that that's the holdup, is there is a lot at stake when it comes to competition and antitrust, and that's why regulators, whether our federal regulators, uh, are getting involved, or, you know, we've seen them from Europe, we've seen them from Canada, uh, by the Xbox people, you mean Microsoft, who's trying to buy Activision Blizzard. This would be a gargantuan merger, not just for tech, but right, especially for gaming. And that affects a lot of jobs. It affects a lot of investors. It affects a ton of gamers. Um, I wonder if the gamers are the ones that are less worried and saying, look, just keep cranking out good games. We'll keep playing them. You'll all get rich and everyone will be happy. And maybe they're not following this story as closely as we think they are.
Well, the Microsoft people have now come out and said, well, we're still going to be an open platform. We'll still accept all the games. And I thought, that's why they're calling themselves the Xbox people, not the Microsoft people, because <laughs> if you look at history, you would never believe that claim from Microsoft. That's an interesting thing, and, and it leads to what could be next from, say, the federal regulators is a call, and this harkens back to you know the days of Elizabeth Warren running for president, to try to break up some of these really big tech companies. And I can see a world where Microsoft spins off it's call it the gaming division, call it the Xbox division, whatever. Uh, but it's such a successful wing of a very successful giant company on its own. And maybe that's how you get a gaming company and a console company, say a la Sony, um, that really is is on its own one day. But for now, it's part of Microsoft, which, remember, is the second largest company by, micro, by uh, market cap in the world. Yeah, and companies don't like to give up cash cows, no matter how big they are. Right. You know, they like the the wounded birds they set free to fly away and do their best, not not money machines. Okay, well, I, I'm sure that we're going to be talking about this for the next six months as it gets fought over, and, you know, Canada either comes on board or it holds a veto. Okay, next. Uh it's taken 20 years, but uh, Richard Branson has finally begun commercial operations for Virgin Galactic. It's taken the first past years up in this space. Interesting timing as, you know, the first past years went down to inner space and died horribly. Uh, but, you know, we human beings keep pushing the limits. And, you know, I think that this is worth cheering. Right. Uh, so I watched the Branson flight. It was exciting. It's, it's uh, you know, it's inspiring. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think that spirit of innovation, that desire to conquer new areas is, is going to stop anytime soon. And as expensive as it is and as nascent as it is, I saw, I think on CNBC, something talking about the multi-billion dollar potential business of space travel, which... Um, yeah. Which is amazing because right now it's it's really not at the level that most people can do it. Um, but if that changes and it gets safe and it just becomes kind of a thrill ride, I think people line up to to do it. Absolutely, I, you know, I was I was really bothered when I saw those tweets from people saying about the submersible to the Titanic, cheering the fact that it was a bunch of billionaires that got killed, and I thought it's always billionaires that will drive this kind of innovation and technology and then Moore's law or some other law kicks in and within a lifetime everyday folks are doing it and it doesn't happen the other way around it has to be those wealthy risk takers and you know and so kudos i don't care how how much it costs for those first tickets on virgin they're going to come down you know and he's going to build that giant spaceport and we're one of these days I might be in a in a wheelchair, but we'll be we'll be going through that terminal to get on board one of those flights, and I can't wait. Right, it it takes risk, it takes capital, it also takes safety, and the ones who do succeed to the next level are those who figure all those things out at the same time, and and obviously that's a challenge. Yeah. Okay, Nvidia, we talked about before. Uh, they've come out and warned about the costs of uh, restricting AI. You know, this is kind of a gutsy call because everyone's saying, 
we've got to slow this thing down. Chat GPT is going to destroy education, blah, blah, blah. And NVIDIA says, oh, no, if we block it, we won't make as much money. We will lose a major market, especially if you block it to China. Because that's one of our biggest markets. And I noticed they they, they hauled out Cullet Press, their uh, chief information officer. The CEO didn't come out and said, we really need to make more money. We need that market to be open. And, you know, I don't think people are real warm about the idea of China getting a lot of AI. And so to come out kind of contrary to that view is an interesting call by for NVIDIA. I guess they're feeling pretty good these days. They're not afraid of backlash. The whole thing with the tech industry, the American tech industry in China, fascinates me. And as a country, we seem to be fine with China using iPhones, with China driving Teslas, you know, American-made products. But we're really worried about uh, American kids on Chinese social media. And we're worried about China buying AI chips from NVIDIA. Um, and I get it. Uh, you know, there's, there's no fighting this. This is the one issue that unites both sides of the aisle. And there aren't many issues that unite both sides of the aisle. But concern about China and data and privacy is, is really one of them. And, you know, NVIDIA is, is kind of right in the middle of this. And I noticed their stock price dipped, which it hasn't in a while, on concerns that we might keep China away from these AI chips. Uh, but that's a legitimate concern. And it's something that is, seems yeah. to be a precarious balance politically is what tech products can do business and what tech companies can do business in China and which need to have a larger wall between them. And, and I think that's going to play out a lot in the coming months and years. Yeah, and it's starting to become a moral question. And that changes everything because moral questions become political questions. We'll get to Sequoia in a second here. But, you know, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this to you, but I think the greatest high-tech article ever written was by a guy named Hesh Wiener for a magazine called Computer Decisions. It doesn't exist anymore. But the cover story was, would you sell a computer to Hitler? And he told the whole story of IBM selling computers to Argentina to round up people. And it's it's gone on people violating, you know, the the, the viol you know, the code and the and the protections against selling to the Soviet Union and to South Africa during apartheid. And we're kind of getting into that moment again with China. You know, we know about the Uyghurs. We know about, you know, people disappearing. Uh, at some point, there seems to be, I mean, there's a calculus going on, I think, in everybody's head. How far in do we want to be in the China market? And China is suffering enormously from it because imports have disappeared. And, you know, all these companies, even Apple, are leaving, uh, not, no longer having any outlets uh, or operations in China. Uh what do we do? I mean, I'm asking you the ultimate question, but it's 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 a question we all have to ask ourselves. What's the right level of engagement with China right now? I mean, it's a great question, and there is historical precedent. I mean, IBM made a ton of money selling computers to the Nazis in World War II. There's an entire book about it that's both fascinating and chilling. Um, yeah. And we're dealing with this kind of on two separate playing fields, both with China and, to an extent, Saudi Arabia. And do we have these relationships, not just politically, but as you said, with tech, you know, financially and, and with, with technology? And I don't know what to do. Um, there are 
no necessarily easy solutions other than to say we just won't deal with them end of story but uh, you know it's more complicated than that and i i don't know what it, the, it, the, i mean we need we need to deal with them because first of all they're going to find it somewhere second of all if they don't buy it from us they're going to start trying to make it themselves third of all that's if we don't go for that market somebody else will and they'll eventually you know may overtake us in the in the field of ai right as thomas friedman said the world is flat so we're all dealing with each other on some level whether or not we sell products so i, I don't have an answer to that but that is going to be one of the big issues and you know it's going to get heated politically we've already heard both about China and Saudi Arabia, and these are very, uh, you know, these situations, they echo the past. Uh, and and so, you know, I, I don't know what will happen, but we know we've done what we've done in the past, and that is to sell our goods to dictators. Yeah, it's true. Well, one company that seems like it's a set I shouldn't say company, one firm, Sequoia Capital, which arguably is the most successful venture capital firm in Silicon Valley history. And it's it just raised $8.5 billion on a new Chinese investment fund and has decided this week, cut itself in two and jettison the China wing of Sequoia and keep everything else, the old company, the Don Valentine company. Um, they kind of suggested it had to do less with a moral inter imperative, though it seems some of that's in there, but the fear that they're going to get hauled in front of congressional subcommittees and get, you know, really get slammed hard. They're going to go through hell if they didn't figure out a way to separate themselves from their China operations. So they've essentially done that. That's an interesting move. Are we going to see other VC firms doing that? Are we going to see banks doing that? Are we going to see TikTok doing that? Isn't that the Quadrillion yeah. question of our time right now. Right. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised because of everything you just said and the concerns. Because look, money is money. These guys are getting hit by literally both sides of the political aisle uh, yes. at the same time, and that's uncomfortable when you're trying to raise money, when you're trying to have a good image. Um, and so, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of these splits. Because you're right. I, I also would be surprised if we stopped doing business with China. That would that's just not gonna happen. So maybe you see more of these splits to put um a wall between uh, between the two sides. Yeah, well, you know, there may be another reason too, ultimately, for getting back into China, and that is they are in increasingly desperate economic straits. And when China gets into economic straits, bad things happen. And it it in a weird way, it might actually be wiser to stay engaged. I hate to say that. It makes me, you know, I have to sw almost swallow my words, but to stay engaged in some way to keep that a billion people from collapsing in the civil war over a crushed economy. Right. And if their economy goes down, it affects all the world's economy. And so you're right. It's something we have to pay attention to because I think no matter what, we're a part of it as well. Okay. It's not often I mention the Wall Street Journal twice in one show, but they had a crazy cover story yesterday, or day before yesterday. The drugs that power tech was the headline. Did you see that one? Oh, man. Uh, it basically says that Silicon Valley runs on drugs. That and the, Here's some of the 
mentions Elon Musk takes ketamine. Sergey Brin, Google, sometimes enjoys magic mushrooms. Executives at venture capital firm Founders Fund, known for its investments in SpaceX and Facebook, have thrown parties that include psychedelics. Uh, and I would add from, because I've heard it from people, you can go up into the hills above Woodside and attend ayahuasca ceremonies uh, to open up your mind. Uh, supposedly, it increases mindfulness. So that's the phrase. And according to one former market consulting, marketing consultant, it's the fastest path to opening your mind up and clearly seeing yourself and what's going on. So they're basically, you know, and this they back it up with with people who've seen Elon taking you know special K and and Sergey doing doing mushrooms, um, and we've known for several years that a lot of young Silicon Valley executives are microdosing on LSD to improve their functionality, their productivity. You know, I heard I'm old enough to have heard this several times. I remember being told that cocaine was absolutely benign and it had no dangerous effects. And right until the moment, a couple of people I know shot themselves because of their cocaine addiction, Silicon Valley executives. Are we heading into another one of these disasters or are these guys actually finding some kind of enlightenment that makes them more productive? I noticed that the valley is getting meaner as more people are taking this stuff. So I'm not sure about the mind-expanding powers of these things, but maybe you have a different opinion, Mr. Next Generation from me. Yeah, I mean, I saw the headline, and it sounded like a big leap from people who have a lot of money are experimenting with things like mushrooms. It's a pretty big leap to say Silicon Valley runs on drugs. Um, that's like saying, hey, I went to some crazy fraternity parties in college. Did my university run on drugs? I would say no. Um, and I don't know that Silicon Valley runs on drugs. I think there is a movement to try these things for whatever reason, and these guys are trying them and yeah. whatever. I, you know, um, remember when Jack Dorsey was really into meditation and the headlines were, all but saying Silicon Valley runs on meditation because people were meditating. Okay, if Silicon Valley really ran on meditation, it wouldn't be neater. It would be nicer and calmer yeah, and more and relaxed. And, and most of the people I know who do this kind of stuff, they tell me their minds expanded, but I remember guys who were doing a lot of acid in the early 70s, late 60s, and they would tell me exactly the same thing. And... I never got the impression their minds were expanded a bit. I think it's kind of a little bit of this kind of trend towards transhumanism and simultaneously this the rise of AI, that they feel competition from AI, and they're trying to self-manipulate themselves into a higher being so they can, they can maintain their competitiveness. Yeah, good luck with that. Silicon Valley is still an avid fan of Burning Man, but that doesn't mean Silicon Valley runs on psychedelic drugs. I think it's a recreational thing, and uh, you know, sometimes the headline just doesn't deliver, and I'd say that was one of them. Yeah, and I also think they always, when they say Silicon Valley, they always mean San Francisco, and when we say Silicon Valley, we always mean the families living in, you know, uh, three-bedroom homes in Santa Clara and, and Campbell. 
And that's a whole different world. Yeah, but I mean, the tech that's industry... That's the way it works, actually. Right. The tech industry is far, far more than a few billionaire executives. The tech industry is, right, your home values, what schools you can go to, the traffic on the freeways. And a lot of people are going to look at headlines like that and say, wait a minute, how come I'm not microdosing? How come I'm not experimenting with ketamine? Well, maybe because you're taking care of your family and your job and your mortgage. And that's what a tech worker does. Um, well, by the way, also making technology that is literally world-changing, and, and that's great too. <laughs> but there's a lot more than just Silicon Valley runs on drugs. Come on. You know, parties for people that don't have to worry about money like the rest of us. Yeah, you don't want to take a lot of drugs when you have to pay a mortgage every month. <laughs> okay, that's it for now, folks. You can find us on the Silicon Valley Business Journal homepage as well as on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you. We're going to take Fourth of July off and celebrate our independence. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye-bye, folks.